0: Welcome to the Financial Wealth and Health podcast. My name is Isabel Rothie, a financial advisor at Desert Wealth Management, and it's my goal to help next generation, pre-retired and retired investors work toward financial freedom. I truly believe that in order to become financially wealthy and financially free, you need to become financially healthy first. Let's grow our financial wealth and health together. In this week's podcast episode, I'm interviewing Ryan King, a commercial hardware specialist from Christensen Computer Company. I met Ryan through my local Chamber of Commerce networking group, and he would always share great advice about cybersecurity and virtual private networks and password security. And I wanted to interview him on the Financial Wealth and Health podcast to share his information with you all. As a brief overview about Ryan, he and a friend started a computer company in the mid 1990s. They built and sold home and office computers. And Ryan shares this was a pretty cool time in the history of computer technology. Almost everything that we take for granted today was just the beginning. The home computer had only been a reality for a few years and many people were seeking out their first home computer. Ryan did that until the early 2000s and then he switched his focus to support services, providing server and network support for small businesses. In 2009-2010, Ryan was contracted to work for American Express. The team he worked on provided all desk-side support services for the Salt Lake City campus, which was about 3,000 employees. Since 2013, Ryan has worked for the Christensen Computer Company, where he provides managed support services for small businesses and residential customers. Christensen Computer Company also develops software, and Ryan provides setup and support for some of their software modules to customers around the country. The interview with Ryan was a very good one, sharing great cybersecurity, virtual private network, and password security tips, and I hope you all enjoy the podcast episode today. Hi, Ryan. Thank you so much for taking time today for me to interview you on the Financial Wealth and Health podcast. I think all of your information is really going to help a lot of listeners.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm delighted to be here.
0: Yeah. And for any of the listeners here, like I said in the intro, Ryan and I know each other from the Chamber of Commerce in Fountain Hills. We're in the same networking group. And after learning so much about what Ryan does and his expertise, I really wanted him to share this with the podcast listeners to spread the word. So we're going to be talking a lot about Cybersecurity. We're going to be chatting about password management, VPNs, cookies and cash, all those fun topics. Uh, But, Ryan, before we dive in, I wanted to ask first so the listeners can get to know you better what's your life story and your background in the computer industry?
1: Um, Well, I started building computers uh, somewhere around 1995. A a friend and I started a small computer company, and we built and sold uh, home computers and a few for businesses. Um, and at one point in time we had a couple of outlets uh, a couple of retail outlets um in the early 2000s like that that business was not kind of the same market it had been in the 90s it was much tougher mm-hmm. um the big the big uh, computer sellers they they had kind of come down in price and kind of made it a lot different market and um so I moved my services more to uh support so I would I would I started to support small and medium-sized businesses, uh, places like uh, uh, attorney's offices and accounting offices. And I spent probably most of my time after that uh, supporting those kinds of offices. I did spend Uh, a year at American Express. And that was a lot of fun. That's a really big environment. So if you're Mm -hmm. used to going into small businesses with, you know, half a dozen or a dozen people in it, and then all of a sudden you show up to work and it's like a small city, it's like 3000 people come and go from that building every day, right? So it's like a little small city with its own infrastructure. So that was kind of fun. For the past 10 years, I've made my living working here in Fountain Hills uh, for CCC, Christensen Computer Company.
0: Great. Thank you for sharing. It sounds like, you know, you've had a long history of computers. And as we kind of go off into some of our other topics for today, I first wanted to dive into any advice that you have for both the older generation and the younger generation, especially when it comes to cybersecurity specifically.
1: That's a really good question because ever increasingly, you know, our our information and our data is out there.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and one of the things that is a real tell when I, when I visit with some of my new older, you know, my older customers that are new, they're first time customers to us. And uh, one of the things that's really common for them to say is I don't have any of that stuff. I don't have any accounts. I don't have anything important on my computer. Um, and so I'll ask them I'll say, well, do you have like any financial accounts? And of course, you know, they do because most of them are retired and, mm-hmm. and they have, you know, some, some sort of, you know, financial arrangements for that. Um, and some of it, sometimes that's substantive, you know, and, uh, and then I'll say, okay, well, do you have any doctor, do you communicate with your doctor, you know, online? Do you do? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, you know, how about a pharmacy and do you do anything with Amazon? Oh yeah. All the time, you know, mm-hmm. look at all the Amazon boxes. <laughs> right? And pretty soon it's like, oh my gosh, I really have this, this, uh, very notable, it may be better than average uh, profile. And these are people that don't think they have any Mm -hmm. uh, profile out there in the digital world. Okay. So I I think in number one is to just kind of recognize that we all do that now Uh, as much as, you know, maybe we shy away from some areas of it. We all have that information. We've all bought things from Amazon. We've all bought things from, you know, other sellers. We all schedule our doctor appointments that way. So I think recognizing that and recognizing the need to take uh, at least basic precautions because of that, um, I think especially with the older uh, generation. And and it's kind of interesting because with the with the younger generation, it's it's about non PC use. So a lot of us in business we use PCs, but a lot of people they don't have home PCs anymore mm-hmm. because. Ninety-five percent of everything that they've ever wanted to do, they can do on a tablet or a or a smartphone. Yeah, by Amazon, they can schedule appointments. They can put their kids in soccer class. Whatever they need to do, they can do that from a smartphone or a, or, a, or a tablet. So um, there's kind of this um, this floating thing out there. It's like, well, I I don't know if I uh, if any of this applies to me. But yeah. it does, right? Because they're all thinking that says, "I don't have any of this personal information." And then when you kind of break it down for them, they realize that they have a pretty good footprint already of, of digital information. So that's number one: be aware of that and don't uh, and and take some basic precautions. And then number two is um, just don't walk through the door you don't have to do. You don't you don't have to walk through. Right, and I'm really big on that. Look, if I don't, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of heights, so I'm not going to ride that ride. Right, I yeah. just have fun on these rides that stay closer to the ground. Right, but you know, just don't, um, just don't walk through those doors. You don't have to. Don't mm-hmm. leave your stuff out there. Um, don't take any unnecessary risks that you don't have to take. Yeah, um, yep. And we can talk a little bit more about that as we get into some of the preventative stuff. But yeah, that's that's yeah. really my number one. Uh, my, my two main rules, understand what you're really doing, yeah. that you do have a footprint out there to some degree, and then don't take any unnecessary chances.
0: Exactly. And and one thing that I think sometimes the younger generation forgets about is if you make a phone call, you to schedule an appointment or to talk with someone that, you know, there's less data, so to speak, exposed online. So sometimes a phone call, if you can make a phone call, Sometimes that's that's easier than going back and forth online, you know, just call the place to make an appointment. So I think sometimes uh, we forget that as well. But I also wanted to talk about some of those uh, common sense tools that you you mentioned when you host workshops or talk with people kind of about firewalls, VPNs, uh, two factor authentication. I know these are all very popular and sometimes we get so confused on what is what. Can you explain some of those uh, different topics for us?
1: Absolutely. Um, so they all kind of work together for security, but they have a little bit different purpose. So I, I think one of the things you mentioned was two factor authentication. Mm-hmm. And that's fairly new. I mean, it's been around for a long time uh, in some regards. We were using it, you know, 15 years ago at American Express, but that was kind of big corporate stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's really very common. And, and a lot of people may be trying to avoid it. Like, I don't want to have to do that. It What two-factor authentication is, is it requires when you log into an account, and for example, we'll just say it's your bank account. Mm -hmm. When you log into your bank account online, they're going to require a username, okay, that, you know, whatever your name is. And a lot of times that's our email. And there's a lot of problems with that. We could maybe circle back and talk about (laughs) problems with having your email as your username. But So it requires a username, and then it requires a password to get in. Okay, well we've been used to that for the last 40 years. Every account has a username and a password. But so a lot of places are now saying, "Look, we want you to use this second key, the second code to get in." And it is really a, a a great tool. The way it works is for instance, if you go to your bank, you log in uh, the your web your the your bank's website and you enter your username and your password, same thing we've done for, you know, last 20 30 years. Yeah. And then it's going to send you a prompt on your phone. And that could either be through a customized app or it could be just through a text message and it's going to send you a little a little message and that message is going to have like a six digit code in it. And it's a randomly generated code. It cannot be regenerated. I mean it's not going to be it's not anything that anybody could guess, spoof anything else. It's that one time valid for, you know, like 15 minutes or whatever, they're going to send you another code. Okay? And that code is required in addition to what you've already done, which is your username and your password. That code is now needs to be input for you to gain access to your account. Yeah. And a lot of people look at that and like, well, I don't want that extra step, but what it really does is it makes it imp- uh, makes it well, near impossible for anybody to breach your account. Because passwords are breakable, when places hack information, it's easy to get passwords and username information. But this randomly generated code, one time use, it's good for 15 minutes. The next time, literally, if I logged in and out and in and out and in and out 10 times in 10 minutes, they'd send me 10 separate codes.
0: That's and happened to me be before.
1: <laughs> yeah, I couldn't reuse the one that I used before. Okay? it wouldn't It wouldn't take it because the system resets each time. So dual factor authentication or two factor authentication is really great. And I encourage people to use that. If you have any accounts that are asking for that, that require that, don't shy away from it. Uh, It's actually very, very secure. It really brings the security level in today's age up, which is why so many places are forcing their users to go to it. It's not that difficult. You just have everybody carries their smartphone. You get a little ding on your phone it's like seconds and you get that little ding and it's like, oh, okay, that's the code. And I'll put in my secondary code and then you're in, you're
0: into yeah. your account. Is this similar to where you, when you sign on to some websites, that's the reCAPTCHA type of imaging where they say select the images that have traffic light or motorcycles and you have to go in and select a couple of different images. Is that similar or is it a different science behind that?
1: No, it looks, it sounds similar, but it's, uh, the, it's purpose to... Prove that you're not like a, a, a robot out there. Like oh, okay. we call them bots, like online, like they're just prowling for information and data. So you can electronically send all of the information that we as humans type into a screen, right? Mm-hmm. So once they prowl to the website, they can just send that data electronically. And so what that captcha does is it allows, and it is used for security to a degree because mm-hmm. it's stopping bot activity. It's yeah. stopping people from saying, hey, uh, we don't know if you're really a person that you've that you've missed your password. You've mistyped your password the last three times. We don't know if you're human anymore, okay, or if you're just a bot out there trying to hack our system. So we're going to uh, you know, flip this CAPTCHA up, and we're going to make sure that you have to pick the right pictures before we let you go through it. And there's no way a bot could do that. Yeah. They can't so see the interface, so you as the human has to see the interface and pick the selected things.
0: Which that's good that that's extra security as well, just to make sure no one's trying to hack into your account. Um, and, And while we are, though, on the topic of password security, so many people have different opinions on if you should have one main password or a different password for each login. And if you have a different password, how do you remember it all? So can we just chat about password security and your top tips for good password security for both older and younger generations?
1: yeah so uh, password don't use the word password (laughs) that's my number one tip um you uh, don't use common words like football you know a lot of times people will be like oh football oh you should have some numbers in there okay football one or football one two three you know um these are very bad bad passwords um when the number one thing to remember about passwords and complexity and security is it's not about somebody guessing your password and that's kind of the old what sticks in the older generation like myself because we grew up on those uh you know those uh private detective and those spy movies and they're all in there trying to guess the person's password you know and i don't know if that was ever really true but but yeah it's you know guessing a password is really only relevant to maybe like your grandkids you know coming over to your computer no you can't use a computer oh, we'll see i'll guess your password um but it's not about that. It's it's about um, entities, very bad people, using very powerful computers to try to hack into uh, these places like Amazon, Apple, all these online places where our data is stored. So you know these people that think they don't have a pr- footprint, a very big digital footprint, like we talked about um, at the beginning. They do, and it's all over the place. It's in in on servers all over the world. OK, because Microsoft, Apple, their banking accounts, their other places that they go to, they store this this data uh, in great big server uh, farms and, and server complexes all over the world. Wow. And so um, these these bad people, these, these hackers, OK, that's where they're trying to break in at. And they're they're not guessing. They're using very sophisticated al- algorithms and uh, that to try to just uh, Try all the, all the alternatives, all the possible combinations, and, mm-hmm. and so um, it. We don't want these very simple passwords because it's not about somebody guessing how to get into your computer or your iPhone anymore. Mm-hmm. We need to have some complexity. Um, so you don't use common words. We want to have um, at least eight characters. Usually, the the kind of the more uh, the, the today they're saying like twelve, minimum of twelve. Uh, yeah. characters for a password. Well, why? Because uh, just mathematically, that's that much harder to mm-hmm. the combinations between eight characters and 12 characters is mathematically that much harder to uh, to to break. OK, even for a supercomputer, it's that much harder. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why we have the length in there. We have that minimum 10, 12 characters that we see a lot of places. Now we're requiring um, and then they want a lot of complexity, uh, upper and lowercase uh, values and um, and then special characters, you know, put an exclamation mark or a, or a hashtag, you know, pound sign in there. Um, and, and they want all of those things in there because of complexity. Mm-hmm. The, so they don't just let you put common words or it's not good to put common words and even common words with just like a number behind it, because. Again, that's the first thing that the the the, uh, the hackers' algorithms are going to try. They're going to try football, Dave, Betty, Sally. They're going to try all of these words with combination numbers. And and we think about it's not some guy just hacking them in there. Okay, it's it's supercomputers that are doing all of these comb- possible combinations in Crazy. in fractions of a second. So the complexity is really important.
0: Yeah, and. And I know we, we've talked about in the past password generate generators, which can be uh, I know younger generations, sometimes more more techie generations can understand how to use those and and all of that, which is great going forward. But perhaps for maybe an older generation or someone who is a little too overwhelmed with password generators, what is a good method to come up with a complex password for every login that you can remember?
1: Well, that's a really good question. Um, and, and the password generators are, are great. There's nothing wrong with them at all. Um, the problem and because they generate randomly, you yeah. know, hey, like, hey, I need a password. How many characters do you want it? Blah, blah, blah. And then to spit you out a great password, okay? Um, but they are really complex and hard to remember because it's going to mm-hmm. be an uppercase A and a lowercase Z. And it's going to have some numbers, special characters, and there's no rhyme or reason or order. And it's going to be 24 characters long and it's it's going to be ultra secure. It's going to be uncrackable, but it's going to be impossible for you to remember what that is and put it in there. Mm-hmm. So it works good if you're using like a digital uh, type of mechanism to store your um, passwords like a digital keychain or whatever that, that yeah. you might have that stores passwords for you, um, which I'm not a big fan of. But again, they're as good as the security for the company that provides it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like, instead of things like that, my my best recommendation is a password phrase. Mm-hmm. So typically what happens is if we are able to string three or four words together words spelled normally okay uh three or or, four or five even is better uh depends on how long the word is and just string them together and these are just random words that don't have any real meaning per se it's not like a like i love monday night football okay (laughs) Uh, you know somebody's probably tried that and initially it probably was a pretty good password but yeah um So if if they're just randomly strung together words or sometimes something that means only something you would ever recognize, like you have a favorite restaurant and you have a favorite dish at that restaurant, then you could create a password phrase that says, I love, you know, Benny's drive in super burger or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like it's really long because it is. Yeah, it's it's uncrackable because of its length. And it's, uh, and if, especially if you throw, you know, a couple of numbers or something in there, Mm -hmm. it's uncrackable and it's fairly easy for you to remember because you like Benny's and you like their super burger, right? So if you can make these password phrases, that's, um, a lot, a lot easier to remember, but they're still very complex and very, uh, hard to break.
0: Thank you for for sharing that. And would you encourage people to have a different password for every login? Some people have different opinions on that. What do you think as far as security goes?
1: Yes, that's uh-huh. really important. Um, I mean, the the most secure would be a completely different, randomly generated password for everything. Um, I don't know that's maybe not realistic. So a lot of times i'll tell I'll tell people, look, you know, make a core of something, if you have a password phrase, for example, that you could trade up, right? Mm -hmm. And then you can, you know, just, well, like, I really like this other restaurant, and I like that one too, and so I'll list that one, or or just whatever, you know, I like this old phrase from this old TV show, and I'm going to change it up a little bit, so it means only something that I would ever recognize. It's not a put-together sentence, or it's not a put-together phrase, common, commonly used phrase. And, um, And if you change that up, if you have a kind of a core of what you like, and you can change that up, then that helps you to understand why we would do that is the most important. And that's because um, your data is out there, like I mentioned earlier, and it's all over, it's all over the world. And so if you happen to uh, get hacked, if like the place, whatever gets compromised, and we see Mm -hmm. it all the time. You yeah. know, and maybe your data wasn't there. Maybe it was, maybe your data is there and you don't even do business with those people, right? Cause that's how, that's the world we live in. Your data is shared all the way around, you know? Oh, well, they're a subsidiary of a company that you do do business with. So, hey, I've never bought anybody from anything from them but your data was compromised because they're a subsidiary of the mother company which you do do business with, okay? So sadly, that's the world that we live in. And if your account information is compromised now they have it. So that's out there forever, And we mentioned earlier on, like, uh, usernames and passwords. We still require those. But nine times out of ten, the username is your email. And that's kind of something that's come on in the last ten years, that every place just username has to be your email. Mm -hmm. And what's really bad about that is your email is a unique identifier, right? Because it's you. Mm -hmm. There's only one of those emails anywhere in the world. There's no, none of, nobody else in the world can be your email address. And so it's a unique identifier. And when one component of the equation, username and password, is a unique identifier, now they know you. Now they yeah. have. You. So if they've come if, if if they've breached someplace and retrieved your information, now they already have one half of the equation your username. Okay. Yeah. And if they've got your password, then all they have to do is try that every place else. Because wow. if it's the same password. Then it's going to work wherever you happen to use that username, which is your email, and that password. So it is important, and that data is out there forever. So yeah. it's not like oh well, they just got it and now; it's going to magically disappear. No, it's out there, and they circulate that on the dark web, and it's out there forever and ever for hackers to come and get. So uh, that's why having changing them frequently, mm-hmm. okay, and having mixing them up a little bit. Uh, changing them for every for different accounts is important, so that if they break one, they don't break them for everything.
0: How often would you recommend someone to change their password?
1: Usually, every ninety days is reasonable. Yeah. It depends yeah. on how how big your footprint is. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, in the corporate world, uh, like I'm a systems administrator here for our internal operations and we set our operations about 90 days, you know, okay. Yeah. But where it's common 90 to or 30 to 90. You can go out to 180, but most of the time it's right around 90 days is a good.
0: It's Good to know. Just put on your calendar, your password reset day and you just reset the ball. <laughs> so when you mention that online storage isn't your favorite, I think some people want to write them down in a password book is that safe some people think it is some not what are your opinions on storage one of the most se- secure ways to store all these passwords <laughs> it really
1: is a good question and again i'm old school i'm old okay so i'm old school <laughs> um but i i think that a lot of times we um there's there's positive there's pluses and minuses to to both sides of it. okay mm-hmm. uh really if you store it electronically that's great but then, if that can be broken, then they have all of that information. Yeah. So, uh, and and another thing that a lot of times people overlook is like, oh, if my website just remembers where where I'm supposed to go. If my Amazon account just keeps me logged in, or my bank just keeps me logged in, well, if anybody is able to gain access to your computer, then they have that automatically. Mm-hmm. Oh, so if they have. Uh, through malicious software, or just the grandkids came over and gained access to your account. You know, now they that's already open for them because all they have to do is click on the website, which you've probably, you know, put in your favorites or auto, you know, to auto load anyway. Okay, and and now they're just they're right there accessing, you know, yeah. information. Um, so I I don't really like the electronic means, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad or that they don't have a have a you know a, uh, a decent role to play mm-hmm. um when it comes to writing them down everybody thinks that that's really taboo um and in some ways it is over the years I can't tell you how many times I'd go into a small office and it's just like yeah I mean it's like I'm just the the managed service provider right so I'm not there all the time And I would roll in and I'd say, okay, well, we got this problem. You guys are having this issue, whatever you complained about. And I'd be like, okay, so where's the administrative account information? And they're like, oh, it's just right there on a sticky note, you know, on on a server. And I'm like, oh, really? Okay, great. Um, Or you go sit down at somebody's PC and you'd ask them, what's your uh, username and password so I can get in and start working on your. The problem, right? And they're like, well, there it is just right there on my my sticky note right there on the monitor. And it looks, I mean, it's literally taped on. It's not just the sticky note stuff anymore. They've permanently taped it on there. It's probably been there for, you know, years. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So that kind of writing it down is obviously it's very bad. That's horrible, right? We would never want to do that. Never want to share your passwords or have your passwords visible to anyone. Mm-hmm. However, you know, writing them in a little black book, you know, a little password book, isn't that bad of a bad of way to do it. If you, if that works for you, um, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, if you lose the book or the book becomes compromised, you know, the, the notebook, whatever, then that could be a bad thing. But the chances of somebody recovering a randomly, uh, you know, written little tablet, stuck yeah. in your sock drawer, you know, mm-hmm. is, is probably less likely than, you know, some cyber attacks. So, yeah. Um, but people that like that option, one thing that I do recommend is just be a little bit more discreet about it. Like if you're yeah. going to write it down, you can safely write it in like a single location like that, but mm-hmm. don't, don't be itemized. Don't, don't itemize it. Don't make it really easy to understand. Just write entries that only you would understand. So if you yeah. say, you know, code words for this type of account. And then, you know, password or, you know, password plus whatever, just whatever code that kind of helps you remember or know what that is. Mm -hmm. So when you have to refer back to it, but somebody that might randomly come across the book wouldn't know what that means.
0: That's good. That's a good tip. Kind of the in-between if people aren't comfortable with the online generators having a small book like that uh, just to carry around that that's good thank you for sharing that not
1: lots of them don't carry it around in your purse just 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 your
0: office or something yeah yep uh thank you for kind of sharing about the whole password topic because it's there's more and more online accounts these days everyone's making more online shopping accounts or online subscription accounts so knowing Proper password management is so important. And I do want to transition on to VPNs, virtual private networks. These could be really complex to understand. So if you want to share just in the simplest way what it is and when to know if you need one and how to use one.
1: Well, that's a great, great topic. VPN stands for virtual private network. Um, And the industry, you know, like my job has been using that kind of stuff for for years and Mm -hmm. we've used it to connect offices together. So if you have five offices in the same city, okay, or even across the country, but you need to share data um, back and forth uh, to the same server, um, and we did this a lot before cloud, right? Mm-hmm. Because now, now servers are kind of all in the cloud, so they're all in a centralized location hosted by by a, a you know company, Microsoft or whoever. Um, but back in the day, you had your own servers in your facility. And so we a VPN, we we would make an encrypted private connection between the offices using encryption. we call it a VPN tunnel and using uh, special, you know, hard to break, really impossible to break encryption and algorithms. We would make this VPN tunnel between the offices using the Internet. And then the office community were able to communicate back and forth as if they were on the same network. So uh the offices in San Diego and the offices in, you know, Utah, and the offices in, you know, Kansas. And they were all able to talk uh, to the same server and use the same resources um as if they were all on the same network because in 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 essence, they were. They had mm-hmm. a virtual private connection using secure um, uh, encryption to connect those offices uh, to do that, okay. in the modern, in, in the last few years, what we've had uh, kind of um, uh, surface is personal VPNs, okay? Mm. And that's really kind of what I think you want to talk about yeah. here. Is private VPNs, personal VPNs. Hey, look, what? how do I protect myself when I'm just using my cell phone, okay? Yep. And they really work the same way. So you subscribe to a personal VPN provider, okay? And basically what they're selling you is an encryption, an encrypted connection to their servers. And they have them all over the country and all over the world. Okay. So uh, you can connect to any one of them that you want, but they're offering a secure, encrypted connection to their servers, which then in turn hides your identity. So Mm -hmm. when you go out online to do your banking or anything else that you want to do online. okay people, they're, you know, websites that inherently, because all websites want to track you now, all websites, yeah. The the cookies, policies, the yeah, cookies. Hey, you gotta, you gotta click here or we're not going to let you read the rest of the, you know, the story. Um, so that, what that does is it enables you to stay hidden from all of those because mm-hmm. all they can see is that you're connected to some server, you know in another state or, you know, Nevada
0: or Rhode or Island or somewhere. Yeah.
1: Wherever, you know, usually the local ones in your same city are, are, are the best, you know, like if for us here, uh, if you use a VPN, most of the servers are going to be in Phoenix. Okay. But, yeah. um, so all they can see is that, and then once you've disconnected, once you've signed off, there's no more connectivity. One, they don't know who you are because all they can see is the, you know, the, the connection host, the, the VPN uh the endpoint of the VPN there. Um your service host. And your service host typically doesn't keep detailed records about who you were. Okay. Mm. In fact, there is a few out there, and I'm not going to really name any names because I don't want to yeah. get any um if you come to me, I'd give you some you know, endorsements yeah. come to me personally, I give you endorsements. But but there's a lot of companies out there, but there's a few that um Uh, that are isolated uh, they operate in different countries they operate in different countries where the laws are different the privacy laws are very different and a lot of these companies they don't use any logging in fact so if um if government entities came to them and say hey we demand that you um show tell us you know who this connector is all the time that comes out there they would just say sorry can't tell you Because okay. we don't log any of that information. We can't. Oh. We couldn't tell you even if we wanted to. <laughs> even if you could somehow compel us to, we couldn't tell you because we don't mm-hmm. log that information. The second that they sign off, it's gone. Okay. Wow. Okay. So that's um that's the advantages of a private VPN. So what does that do for us? Well. A couple of different things. One, because of all the trackers that we've talked about, you know, the cookies and the people that are out there watching, wherever you go, we've all done it. We've all gone and looked at some ad. Hey, I'm interested, sort of. Yeah. In the, and then the next three weeks, you're just getting the same kind of ads. It's just like, yeah. I, don't, I wasn't even on that website. How did I get that ad? Right. Because mm-hmm. it, it's, it's all connected. Um, so it does. It protects you a lot from that kind of stuff from people that are um, you know, trying to identify you for malicious reasons or just advertising reasons.
0: So when it comes to virtual private networks and when to use it, I always hear people say, oh, make sure to use it when you're going to a coffee shop or an airport. And then some people don't know if that actually protects your data or just protects the connection. So when to use a VPN, do you use it all the time? And if not all the time, what public areas should you use it at?
1: Well, if you have one, I would recommend that you use it everywhere. Uh, okay. I when I'm at home, I use one in my house. I'm I mean I'm on my home Wi-Fi. Okay, um, but so because the VPN, it, like we've discussed, it protects you in a couple of different ways. Because nobody can monitor or really know who you are or track you, um, uh, you know, at least not in the same capacity. Um, then it protects you in that regard. So it, it gives you that really much more significant level of autonomy. While while you're out there mm-hmm. online and a private online presence, so really that's a motivation to use it anywhere. Now, what's the other thing that it can do? Well, when you're and, and free Wi-Fi has been around for you know a yeah. couple of decades now, uh, right? So started in the coffee shops, and now you can go just about anywhere. McDonald's has had you know free Wi-Fi for uh, a long long time, so you can just walk you know go in there and and uh, and use their Wi-Fi. Um, so the the problem with that is that everybody that connects to that Wi-Fi can technically see all the other devices. Okay. Uh, and a, and a lot of them are just open, right? Like we don't have a password because we want to make it easy, or yeah. there's the password on the wall, you know, so yeah, that yeah. people can just, you know, log in. And so. It, there's no, there's nothing that prevents the guy from walking in, finding mm-hmm. out what it is, and then go sits in his car and just monitors all day and runs his algorithms to try to crack everybody's information yeah. that there's on their so so you're on that network which makes you vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But if you're using your VPN, your the from your device to the other VPN's endpoint, which is server crosstown or whatever, okay, is fully encrypted. So now, none of the information that you're pulling back and forth from the internet on your device is visible to that guy sitting in the parking lot trying to get uh, information from everybody's device. Okay,
0: good to know. So yeah, it,
1: it is. It is good to use them really everywhere, but for um, for kind of maybe different reasons.
0: Yeah, especially people who travel too, and a lot of people are working remotely now, so you kind of work from anywhere. So that is so important. And a lot of VPNs are just, you know, subscriptions are not super expensive, so definitely worth it to have that extra layer of security. Five to ten
1: dollars a month is the average cost. for Oh, perfect. And then the other thing to think about too is, um, you know, a lot of our uh, a lot of our service data plans now are uh, ver- unlimited, right? Uh, look, I, I'm I'm like, we've already said several times, I'm old. So I remember when my first cell phone was like, a, looked like, when well, they called them a brick phone for a reason, right? <laughs> my dad had like that. Brick, okay. With <laughs> a little antenna on the top. Um, and it was very expensive to use back then. You You got charged for by the minute and it was, and this wasn't even data. This was just phone calls, right? And oh you gosh. got charged by the minute and it was kind of pricey. I mean, you could pay 35, you know, 45 cents a minute. You wow. know, to, to talk on those phones, and so um, you know now we don't even think about that because there isn't a phone plan around. It's not like not unlimited, you know, for yeah. talking and texting and all of that stuff. Um, so the data is the big thing. The electronic data is the big thing that they 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 want to charge you for. But even that is becoming increasingly unlimited for a reasonable price. Yeah, and, and that's really good. It's good in a lot of ways because one, you don't have to use that coffee Wi-Fi. Uh, that that coffee shops Wi-Fi anymore mm-hmm. right you don't put it on their Wi-Fi you just leave it on your broadband network yeah it's unlimited and so you mm-hmm. don't have to rely on their 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 network to worry about you know whether or not you're um, you want to go out on the internet plus it's really cool if you, you take it like me everywhere and you watch the football games hey, my wife wants to go to dinner uh, honey i want to watch the football game. i just bring the ipad that's okay just we'll bring go the here. ipad we'll you know i want to go to the i want to go to the place that has the bar and i can watch the football game and she' like no, i don't want to go over here okay just bring the ipad it doesn't matter wherever we go because i'm just you know i
0: have my broadband network
1: <laughs> yeah, so the, the, un, the the unlimited plans are a lot more affordable and they have that advantage that you really don't have to use those coffee shop. Wi-Fi in there.
0: Just good, yeah. So good options: VPN or broadband network. And and I know we mentioned cookies and whatnot. Can you mention cache too? Because those always go hand in hand. And it's kind of at least sometimes for me before I learned all this, it was confusing to know the difference. So what is cache and cookies combined?
1: Uh, well, well, cookies is is a in its simplest term is just a little piece of software that uh, your system uses to to be able to identify where it's been and and help it navigate some of them are just uh normal we've been using them for years you know uh, Mm -hmm. so that it could be able to navigate and get back to the website uh faster and easier as you click from you know pages to page um some some of them though are uh, again ever increasingly designed for tracking Mm -hmm. and so that's uh, that's why when you go onto these disclaimers I don't know if those are really accurate or not, but, you know, they say, hey, choose your cookie function. And they'll say, okay, these are required just to make our website work. Okay. And that's common. We've been doing that for, you know, 20 years. And then it says, okay, but if you like, we'd really like it if you participated in our additional cookies that track and help us advertise to you. So it's basically, it's a little piece of software that's on your system that's able to identify when they go when you go to another website it goes hey i recognize that cookie and i'll be able to home in on whatever that tells me and mm-hmm. you know um so those are those are primarily cookies again not all bad uh, you don't have to go ah cookies but yeah. again that's the that's that we've had them for a long time cash is um in in the reference to Cache is a reference to a lot of things uh, about a computer. Okay, your computer is always caching, and this is like c a c h e, right? Cache like a cache of, uh, like a vault. Okay, yeah. like a like a cache. So it's not cash like C-A-S-H. It's cache like I just won the, lo- uh, the 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 lottery. Like I just found the motherland. Okay. Yeah. A huge cache of of, uh, of valuable stuff. So that's exactly what it is. It's storing data. And throughout any computer's operation, there are numerous flow points where your system is caching data in between, okay. whether it comes off of the processor, whether it goes into the memory, there's always these bufferings where it's storing data that's commonly used so it can access it faster. So it doesn't have to go to the back to the origin point to get the data again. Okay. And that's been, again, that's computer operation been for 40, 50 years. Okay. Uh, we've been caching data Um, in the world that we're all more familiar with is like web browsers. Well, Mm -hmm. it's the same concept. Your web browser caches uh, data so that it doesn't have to go to the source again,
0: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: or at least as often. So when you go to the same web page over and over and over again, it will store a lot of that data in what's called your web cache, okay? Uh, And so by clearing that, you force the the web browser to go back out to the source and gather all of that information again. Um, Cache isn't necessarily a bad thing. A lot of times people think, oh, I've got to clear the cache. Well, again, it just depends on how much data you want your web browser to store about where you've been. Mm -hmm. Okay, But it isn't a, a bad thing. It helps your system navigate and go faster. So when you go to the online store that you're familiar with, it's able to get back there faster. And navigate faster than having to start over again and recache mm-hmm. that data. Uh, the web's the you know the internet's much faster than it used to be. You know, I remember clicking and hearing the dial tones from the modem. Yeah, <laughs> I'm getting connected over the phone line. Um, so obviously, it's much faster than that. But so is the data uh, is commensurate with that. So the amount of data coming across the internet to our devices is a lot more than what it used to be. So the system still use cache uh, to log some of that data so it doesn't have to go back out to the website to gather it again. It can just load that web page or certain aspects of that web page for you without going all the way back to the website. Okay,
0: That's very good to know. That's a very simple explanation of cache combined with that with cookies. So thank you for sharing that. I feel like understanding these topics more could help us feel a little more confident in the different security topics. And I do want to transition on to malware links. I think when people think of cybersecurity, this is one of the first things they think of. Let's chat about tips to steer clear of these malware links. And whatever you do, don't click the link. <laughs> That's what I tell everyone. Just don't, as much as you want to click that link, just don't click the link. <laughs>
1: When in doubt, don't click. And, yeah. and you know we can laugh about it, but that is my number one rule. Yeah. And I'll tell every customer that comes in the door: when in doubt, just don't click the link. Look, yeah. it's not that it's not that big of a deal. You know, the the real your package is still going to show up. Okay, mm-hmm. all of this other stuff is 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 going to happen. Um, so if if in doubt, just don't click the link. Yeah. Um, so and if someone sends
0: oh sorry, I was just gonna go say ahead. if someone ever sends you an email and there's a link in it and you're suspicious, just give them a phone call and ask, did you send me this email? You know, was this you?
1: Absolutely. A- ab- absolutely. So, you know, phishing, we call that phishing um with a pH instead of an F, but we call it phishing email. Um, and it and it's uh it's one of the real that and location identity. Uh, Type of thing like they'll kind of try to hone that for something specific. Like, um, hey, we know that this guy belongs to or visits this all the time, so we're going to kind of try to custom some of this phishing uh, emails over over in that you know over that way. And remember, everybody's email is known. It's not like thirty years ago when hey, I had an email address and this is what it is, and only your friends really knew. Right, everybody Mm -hmm. in the world now knows what your email address is for good. So you getting you know, garbage emails is just part of having, you know, an online account. Yep. Um, So they go to a lot of trouble to send these emails out. Um, And I think one really fascinating part of it is people go, well, like, do people really fall for that? Sadly, they do. But there you have to remember, it's a volume business. So they're sending these out by the tens of millions. Okay. So yeah, you know, statistically only maybe less than a percent, less, maybe even less than half a percent, you know, uh, fall for that kind of thing. But think about that, think about that kind of return. So if you're blasting, you know, 10, 20 million uh, of these potential emails, so what if only 1% come back as as a hook, right? That's a, that's a huge volume and that's a huge payout. And this is all digital. So it's not some guy just hacking away, sending 10 million emails, right? <laughs> These are all generated in seconds, mm-hmm. right? They yeah. have to create a template, which one, I would say, read the read the language because oftentimes, you know, just nobody speaks like that. Even your five-year-old grandkid does not <laughs> talk that badly, right? If speak yeah. English, they know how to formulate a sentence and put a proper grammatical sentence together, right? So mm-hmm. sometimes just reading it you can tell that it's it's uh, it's a, a phony email, but other times they go to great lengths to to uh, to try to persuade you. Um, mm-hmm. They'll even build websites that look like uh, UPS. And you could go to UPS's site, and you could go to this phony site, and they look identical because wow. they have gone to great lengths. To duplicate at least those landing pages that you're going to go to, where you think you're going to track a package, okay? So that you'll click on those links and it'll take you to the website, and you'll think that you're tracking a package, and it'll give you some garbage information. All the meanwhile, while you're uh, it's downloading and uh, you know malicious software on your on your computer, wow. and uh, then your package is like still didn't get there when they said it was, and you're like it comes the next day, and a lot of times people don't even think about it. Well, I guess yeah. they were wrong. You know, package you got here tomorrow you know what wow. so
0: do firewalls uh it, let's just say you clicked the malware link but you have a firewall on your computer or on your phone or a tablet does that protect even if you do click a link or how do firewalls and and malware c- combine together
1: so mal uh firewalls and they do kind of work hand in hand in fact the, the modern firewall has um uh, has a subscription uh type of tracking that that looks at data and its reputation before it ever even comes into your device or your network. Okay. Um, So it's kind of a, the next generation approach. We're going to kind of go ahead. We see a data request out there and we already snuffed it because Mm -hmm. our reputation, um, you know, uh, algorithm said that this is from a bad source and we're not even going to let it come into your network. Um, in fact, I'm just looking at my computer right now and I'm just one of my malware notifications said, Hey, we blocked this website coming in. Yeah, I think So, so, right. Hey, thank you. You know, um, so it, it's good firewalls and, and malware kind of do that, uh, same thing. They act proactively. So if you, um, if you uh, are going to a website and and it says, "Oh, hey, we know that that's pretty bad reputation. We're going to go ahead and close that off." Mm. Um, sometimes you can actually set uh, the devices or the the software to say, "Just don't allow connectivity to these sites with this kind of reputation or these mm. specific sites." But even just in general, they typically know where the real bad malware exists, Good. and they try to they try to you know, uh proactively prevent those incoming or you're even sometimes you're outgoing. Um a lot of the malware, the modern malware does what we call active scanning and live scanning. So if you click on a file that it thinks is malicious, it will basically shut that down. Okay. Good. Um that's uh that's one of the most important things about having good, not free Uh, Malware protection um, is, is this active, this, this good active uh, proactive scanning. So if you happen to something does happen, you, hey, let me start on that program. And it recognizes that that is, uh, that is tied to, uh, you know, malicious uh, uh, coding. It will actually shut that down and won't let that take place on your computer. So it, it, it plays a very valuable role in that, but I have to remind everybody. It's very hard to stop the link clicks. Mm. So when you get that email or you go to websites that are kind of filled with these advertisements that you don't really know where they come up. I call them, uh, you know, heavily click baited. You know, yep. websites. And, hey, click here. There's like I can't even tell what I'm really looking at because there's <laughs> fifteen thousand things flashing in my you know around the screen. Yeah. Um. And and so you know. Some of those, I mean, some sites are legitimate, you know, new sites and stuff, but a lot mm-hmm. of them are not, and they can lead you down a rabbit hole pretty quick. So, yeah. you know, kind of avoiding those, uh, those websites or uh, avoiding opening the email, because it's very difficult to stop that once you've clicked on it. Yep.
0: Even and even, if- yeah. Yep. Oh, I was going to say, even when people Google something, whenever I Google something, I try to click websites. I, I know of, you know, news stories or excuse me, news sources, different websites that have a common reputation, because it's good to look at those first when you're researching or Google searching rather than just a random blog that could have something on there.
1: I do the same thing. And even if I'm like looking for uh, a new a new product or a new source of, mm-hmm. of something for my customers, you know, I'll be looking and and so many of these companies, I mean, you don't know where they're from. So sometimes yeah. I'll say, "Oh, hey, that looks like that could be an interest. But if I don't recognize the company or I don't recognize anything about um, that particular, you know, uh, company or product, it's brand new to me. I, I might actually Google the company, okay, yeah. just to find out, you know, where are they located? What's the kind of a reputation? Been in business since, you know, you know, two thousand five or whatever. Uh, just so I get a look before I even go to their website. So we don't do that very often. But when you're in the middle of a Google search, I think that's actually a really good practice. Mm -hmm. uh, Isabel is when you're in the middle of a Google search, and you're looking for stuff that you may not know what it is, uh, just look real close, kind of try to weed through some of that. And if it looks like it might be, you know, goofy, just don't go there.
0: Yep, exactly. Yeah, well, as we wrap up this interview, I wanted to ask if you have just a good idea of a monthly privacy routine checklist that people could follow to pursue cybersecurity safety. Of course, we chatted about you know trying to change your password every ninety to one hundred eighty days, but any other i items they should add to their privacy routine and on their calendar to stay safe.
1: I would I would say just routinely uh, be aware of all of your accounts. We all have accounts as we talked about and they're all over and most of us you know people after they listen to this they might go, oh my gosh, I really do have all these accounts and a mm-hmm. lot of times maybe and that's that's a good thing because if, if if they do that then uh, then we'll have you know opened their eyes to the fact that they have a digital footprint that they didn't that they didn't think that they had mm-hmm. so I, I think just on a re- on a regular basis, look at uh, the accounts that you have, mm-hmm. track them. And close the ones you don't need. You know, there's no reason to leave open digital accounts out there. If you are no longer going to use that, um, you know, that bank or that whatever, uh, it doesn't, you know, not necessarily closing the bank account, but if you're not going to do any online stuff with that store or anything anymore, you know, close those accounts. And that way it's one less password. You got to keep updated and it's one less thing that you got to go through. So just kind of knowing what your footprint is and reviewing that on a regular basis so you can keep track of it and you don't have those surprises out there like how did they you know when I was a good example of that in a non-digital world (laughs) is I had uh uh years ago and I mean this is years ago uh but I had a checkbook stolen from me Mm -hmm. and it it was um back when people wrote checks (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, and it was um I was really, I was lucky because the de- the damage was pretty mo- uh, minimal and didn't really impact me. Good. They were able to shut it down really fast at the, at the financial institution. But what was odd was it was an account that I had already closed. So Ooh. I was carrying around a checkbook and a jacket pocket. I would go to work and I would wear my coat, you know, and I would hang it up in whatever break room was there and I go do my work. You know, I was working in the trades back then and I would go do my work and do whatever. And, and I didn't even know the checkbook was there. So somebody, they didn't steal my jacket. They just went through the pockets and stole the, you know, the checkbook. And fortunately again, it was all pretty much closed. So the impact on me was very minimal, but yeah, here I was carrying around a a checkbook, which you would never do, right. You would never carry around a checkbook and just leave it in a pocket or a credit card. In the pocket, hung up somewhere, and this was an account I didn't even realize I still had. Okay, wow. so the same thing applies to the digital world. You know, just don't, um, just, just take a, an inventory of the things that you have, and, uh, and if you don't need it anymore, like I said, don't walk through the door. You don't have to.
0: Yeah, and that could also help on a you know personal finance topic. If you have a subscription you don't want anymore, stop paying for it and close it up. So <laughs> exactly, <laughs> gotta throw that in there. Yes. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for all your time today and sharing these great tips. I think our listeners will really learn so much, and we're really grateful to have you here on the show.
1: Hey, I appreciate it, Isabel. It's been fun talking with you.
0: Thank you. And we will include uh, your cccsoft.com website to the Christensen Computer Company website if people want to learn more. And any other uh, areas that people could get a hold of you, or is the website the main spot?
1: Uh, you, you know, they can go to our website. Uh, they can also, if they're local here, that's great, they can still call our 800 number. It's 800-222-6102. Again, that's 800-222-6102. And uh, that'll get them right into the front main receptionist. And they say, I've got a hardware problem, I need to, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. What, whatever their needs might be. I think somebody's uh, hacked my computer. Whatever <laughs> it is, we can yep. uh, we can help them out.
0: Well, great, well, thanks so much, Ryan.
1: Thank you very much.
0: The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. All investing involves risk, including loss of principle. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. Ryan King is not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial and Desert Wealth Management.